2: A humanitarian crisis at the border, an economy in tailspin, a crime running rampant uh, situation, and a tragedy in Afghanistan. In just nine months, President Biden has managed to make a mess of just about every issue facing the United States. In this special edition of Hold the Line, we'll take a look at the Biden presidency so far and illustrate why it can be summarized in one word failure. Welcome to this special edition of Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Who is Joe Biden? Guy's been around forever, right? We all know the name. He's the president of the United States now. He was vice president for eight years. He was a senator for longer than I've been alive. So you know who Joe Biden is in that regard, but what's this guy made of? How did he get the jobs that he's had? How has he stayed in office so long? Why are people voting for him? Well, if you look at his record of massive failure and huge disappointments for anybody who actually thought he was going to bring normalcy, he was going to bring about better governance in his first year, you know, the usual lies the Democrats told. Uh, You see what's gone on here, and it's depressing, it's discouraging, but it's not surprising. Let's just take a moment here, a little trip down Biden memory lane for a moment as we get to the present where there are so many big failures we're going to be talking to you about here on this show where did this guy come from? Well, he's the kind of guy who, in public life, this is back in 1987, would uh, lie about something like graduating the top half of his law school. Here you go. I
3: went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 123 credits.
2: First of all, who brags about how many credits they have? By the way, he lied. He graduated 76 out of 85. 76th. Yeah. But, you know, top half. Can't do math, apparently. He was really quick with those credits, though. So we know he's a guy who's insecure about his intellectual abilities and thinks that he can inflate his resume to create a pseudo-credentialism, not that credentials should even matter that much, especially talking about undergraduate or law school work, who cares? But it's a guy, uh, Joe Biden's a guy who's willing to, not just bend, but break the truth in order to create a perception of him that is unwarranted. He's also willing to take the thoughts of others and pass them off as his own because his thoughts are not very impressive. He's not a very impressive guy. Where he was back in 1987, Plagiarizing lines from UK Labour Party leader Neil Kinnock.
3: Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience, is the first in her family to ever go to college?
4: Why is Gladys the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university?
3: My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania don't come up after 12 hours and play football. Eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand.
5: There was no platform upon which they could stand. Yeah, maybe
2: it was all a big coincidence, right? But Joe Biden, it's all been an act the whole time. No one's ever really thought that this was a guy with an original thought, I suppose. So maybe in that way, his plagiarism was on brand, but his problems with the truth are not something that's just in the distant past. Flashback to 2020 when Joe Biden thought that it was, you know, cool to lie about being arrested. Because, you know, he's got to prove his wokeness and his social justice creds. Joe Biden's like, yeah, man, I I got arrested when I was going to see Mandela. Here's what he said.
3: I came back. I came back from South Africa trying to see Nelson Mandela and getting arrested for trying to see him on Robbins Island. He, He was in prison. I had the great honor of meeting him. I had the great honor of being arrested with our UN ambassador on the streets of Soweto trying to get to see him on Robbins Island.
2: That didn't happen though. Does the media care? No, of course not. Joe, Joe Biden lies about stuff because he's an unimpressive guy. He's a blowhard who's been in politics for so long that people just, I guess, assume that he should be there. They keep voting for him because they know the name and he's just been around. What has he really stood for? What is Joe Biden's political core? Does anyone know? Does anyone care? Well, some of us myself included, warned the American people from the very beginning that the Democrats were doing a bait and switch, or you could say a Trojan horse operation. They put forward a guy, whoever knows is a sub-mediocrity, Joe Biden, and they say, don't worry, it'll just go back to normal. And in a year of COVID and panic and the pandemic, maybe that felt like a bet people were willing to make. Enough of them did that unfortunately Joe Biden actually is president today. But now that we see the reality that he is really just a front man for a far-left agenda, one that he doesn't even understand, and one that it seems on any given day he might not even be aware of what's going on around him, now we have some uh, voters' remorse, you could say. And this also should not have been, in the least bit, uh, a surprise. Even people on his own side, Democrats routinely shot down his chances of becoming president. He's run, I think... Three, maybe four times, I can't even remember now. He's been running for president since the 1980s, so he's a guy who really, really, really wanted to be president. And in previous races, he didn't get very far at all. In fact, when he ran uh, back in 2008, the guy was in the loser tier category along with people like Dennis Kucinich that nobody took seriously. Now, Joe Biden's actually the president of the United States. It's a pretty remarkable change in opinion from Democrats. Was it warranted, or is he just the guy that they could fool the American people? into voting for? Well, Barack Obama, who, while a man of the left, is also an astute observer of his own party, when he wants to, when he decides to say it openly, said the following about his vice president. This was reported in Politico. One Democrat who spoke to Obama recalled the former president warning, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Speaking of his own uh, understanding, a waning understanding of today's Democratic electorate, especially in Iowa, Obama told one 2020 candidate, and you know who really doesn't have it? Joe Biden. And you know what? That's why Joe Biden didn't run in 2016. They had Hillary running instead. They all knew that this guy wasn't up for it. They all knew that he'd be a disaster. But then they trotted out all these crazy socialist candidates and Bernie and Warren and nobody liked Kamala. So they tried, and that wasn't going to work. So, all right, we could make Biden president. We'll just pretend that he's going to be something other than what he is. All the Democrats will just cover their eyes and ears and act like they don't know that he's declining Biden and doesn't even know what time of day it is when he's supposed to be commander in chief. This is not a good thing for the country, friends. And we see, whether we're talking about the border, Afghanistan, the economy, we see the primary issues on the plate of the president right now, and it's disastrous. Don't say we didn't warn you, but let's talk about what's really going on and why this is so damaging for the country and it's kind of a report card on year one for Biden. I know we're not even at the end of the year, but it's a mess. We've got a great lineup of guests today to discuss every aspect of the Biden presidency. Up next, Monica Crowley joins us for a look at Biden's most recent failure, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Stay with us. Joe Biden's latest failure, the chaotic and, for American servicemen, deadly evacuation of Kabul, has undoubtedly had a dramatic impact on his image with voters. According to a recent USA Today Suffolk University poll, just 26% of registered voters approve of the president's handling of the situation, with 62% disapproving. His overall approval rating is now underwater, with just 41% of voters giving Biden positive marks. Amazingly, this isn't Biden's first disastrous evacuation. It might be hard to believe, but back in 1975, then-freshman Senator Joe Biden was part of a key group that fought to cut off funding to the South Vietnamese Army, a move that culminated in the fall of Saigon. Looks like old Joe's instincts haven't changed a bit. Joining me now, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Relations, Monica Crowley. Monica, great to see you.
6: Nice to see you too, Buck.
2: So Monica, this isn't the first time that Joe Biden has been very much on the wrong side of a major foreign policy issue, is
5: it?
6: Well, remember Robert Gates, uh, Buck, who said Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of every major foreign policy issue for the last 40 to 50 years? Yeah, that's true. Now, I had worked with former President Richard Nixon during the last years of his life in the mid-1990s And we often spoke about Joe Biden as sort of a non-entity, but more importantly, we spoke about the Vietnam War, how it was fought and how it was ended. One of the biggest lessons that came out of Vietnam was the way you end a military engagement, the way you exit is as important as how you fight it. Joe Biden in the early to mid 1970s voted to withdraw the funding from American troops still fighting on the ground in Vietnam This is even after the Paris Peace Accords, which Nixon and Kissinger negotiated to make sure that the United States exited Vietnam with a peace with honor. Joe Biden chose to vote with all of the Democrats to remove that funding, pull the rug out from under our troops, and that led to the collapse of Vietnam. You saw the fall of Saigon and all of those consequences that echoed for decades later, including to this very day. So clearly, Joe Biden has not learned a single lesson from Vietnam, or he simply doesn't care.
2: Joe Biden, meanwhile, is calling the Afghan mission recently an extraordinary success.
3: Last night in Kabul, the United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history, with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. That number is more than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. Only the United States had the capacity and the will and the ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, and selfless courage of the United
2: States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. Monica, how do you think that extraordinary success line is going to play for this Biden administration going forward?
6: Well, you know, Buck, I think uh, President Biden believes that uh, the best defense is a good offense. This is such an epic catastrophe. It's not gonna work. Um, Even members of his own party, you've got the left wing media, with a few exceptions, but the vast majority of of those even around him uh, understand that this is cataclysmic uh, for our national security, and and certainly we're gonna see the ramifications here at home as we did on 9-11. He's gonna continue to try to spin this, but it's not gonna work. You see his poll numbers plummeting, and it's not just Afghanistan, it's skyrocketing inflation, it's the Southern border that's chaotic, it's skyrocketing crime, all of these things are coming home to roost, and the American people see what is right in front of their faces. The American people do not like to lose, certainly they do not like to lose international wars. They also don't like Americans left behind. So if they, if this White House buck is betting on this idea that somehow the Afghanistan story is gonna fade into the background and other things are gonna replace it in the news cycles, part of that may be true, But the American people are not gonna forget that this president, in a borderline treasonous act, not only left Americans behind enemy lines, but armed the enemy. And we're certainly gonna see the consequences of that here at home. um, They're never gonna forget that. And that is gonna echo throughout the rest of his sorry presidency.
2: One one way that they've certainly tried to deflect from all of this, uh, Monica, is at various points in their explanation of the disastrous withdrawal from Kabul, the, uh, the lack of planning and just the chaos of it all, they try to blame President Trump from that uh, August 31st speech that he gave. Here's what he said. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I came into
3: office, we faced a deadline, May 1. The Taliban onslaught was coming. We faced one of two choices, follow the agreement of the previous administration and extend it to have, or extend, have more time for people to get out.
2: Or send in thousands of more troops and escalate the war. Monica, you were a senior official in the Trump administration. What do you say to that?
6: That is an absurd straw man argument that Biden and his uh, flackies continue to throw out there. It's either, well, we had to either escalate our engagement in Afghanistan or, or you know, just leave. Well, he chose just to leave. And you know what? Honestly, Buck, this is a choice, and the American people need to understand something. Biden has ripped up every other policy that President Trump had in place, from the southern border to economic policy to everything in between. If Biden really hated what Trump left him in terms of this Taliban deal, he easily could have walked away and negotiated something new, as he's done with everything else. He chose this path. Therefore, all of this is deliberate. It's all being done on purpose. The American people need to understand that he has chosen this humiliation. He has chosen to endanger Uh, the American citizens who are still there, American troops and Afghans. He has chosen to turn over Afghanistan to ISIS, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, China, Russia, and Iran. All of this is a proactive choice because at any point in time he could have changed policy and he chose not to.
2: Do you think that even with the Praetorian, uh, Democrat-aligned corporate media backing Biden up at every step of the way, that on foreign policy, he's created a real vulnerability for his party going into the midterms?
6: I think so. Look, traditionally, the Republicans have always been known as a strong national security party. Um, With the end of the Cold War, you saw that sort of wane and domestic policy uh, take its place, except when you have national security emergencies like post 9-11 or what we saw with the collapse of our engagement in Iraq when that started to go south. When you've got American lives on the line in combat zones, now we've got Americans left behind in a terrorist war zone, you know that bad things are gonna happen. They're gonna happen to American citizens and American interests both abroad and here at home. So this is going to haunt him, and I'm afraid for the American people, I'm afraid for the American homeland, I'm afraid for our allies. Uh, This is gonna haunt him for a very long time and politically, it is going to haunt his party. They can try their best to try to turn the page, Buck, but it's not gonna work.
2: Monica Crowley, always great to have you with us. Thanks for being here.
6: Always a pleasure, Buck, thanks.
2: Afghanistan isn't the only humanitarian disaster the White House is currently facing, as record numbers of illegal immigrants continue to make their way over the U.S. border with Mexico. After the break, Texas gubernatorial candidate Alan West stops by to break down the president's negligent response to the crisis at America's southern border.
7: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: There's no denying the growing immigration crisis at our southern border is one of President Biden's top fails, which is saying a lot. Proof of this administration's ineptitude to secure the border comes with the recent release of July's data on the number of migrants arrested attempting to cross into the U.S. A total of 212,672 individuals were encountered crossing the border in July, the highest number of migrant arrests in the last 21 years. In July 2020, by comparison, there were 40,929 individual arrests, marking more than a five-fold increase in the same month this year. Wait a second, I thought the flow of migrants was supposed to slow down during the summertime. Well, that's what our trusty commander-in-chief, Joe Biden, told us back in March. It happens
3: every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. The reason they're coming is that it's the time they can travel with the least likelihood of dying on the way because of the heat in the desert.
2: Unbelievable. If the surge of migrants keeps growing on this path, more than two million will enter into the country this year. Here with Reaction Texas gubernatorial candidate, Alan West. Alan, always good to see you.
4: It's good to be with you. Thank you, Bob.
2: Can we just start at the beginning, because we're we're doing an overview here of the epic Biden fails in year one. Take us to the beginning of the border crisis under the Biden administration, just by way of of review and to
4: situate us here, to give us some situational awareness in this discussion. What happened? Well, first and foremost, the hypocrisy, when Joe Biden says with Afghanistan that he had no other choice but to do what President Trump had started. But yet, when you look at the border crisis, it seems that uh, that's a complete opposite. And, and that hypocrisy is evident when he took an unconstitutional action to uh, open up our border and open up an open borders policy agenda by executive order. That's something that you cannot do. So basically, what Joe Biden has done it says, is says, I'm not going to protect the sovereignty of the United States of America, which affects us here in Texas. And, of course, he got rid of the remain in Mexico. Policy And even though the Supreme Court or a court has said that he has to go back to that policy, they're ignoring it. And the interesting thing, Buck, is that when you talk about these numbers and you say two hundred and twelve thousand six hundred arrests, that does not equal deportation. What is happening is that these individuals are being apprehended and they're being further released into the state of Texas and all across the United States of America. You can see all types of buses, tour buses all across Texas on our major interstate highways. and they are transporting these illegal immigrants all across the state of Texas. So Texas is now experiencing a public health crisis with a COVID spike. We have a drug trafficking crisis and we have a human and sex trafficking crisis, all enabled and facilitated by the Biden administration. So Alan, courts have
2: looked at the Remain in Mexico policy and they've overruled the Biden administration's ending of it, at least as of right now, but what's going on there? I mean, how is it that the the administration up to this point has been ignoring this? And, and what's their justification for getting rid of something that was so effective under the Trump administration?
4: Well, the justification for doing it is that they believe in a far-left, progressive, socialist, open-border agenda. And they are completely ignoring that court ruling that they had to go back and adhere to that Remain in Mexico policy. You have an administration that... Of the state of texas and i find that absolutely abhorrent and so what we have to deal with here in texas we've got to start stepping up and taking care of that border ourselves and 1254 miles of open border and when you look at what the Biden administration the fiasco in afghanistan it's just a matter of time before islamic jihadists start creeping in uh, into texas further into america across this open porous border now with the taliban
2: takeover in afghanistan a lot of people are concerned that this may become a launch pad uh, perhaps in the near future, perhaps in the distant future, for global jihadist attacks. Alan, we clearly have a porous southern border. We have people coming from, uh, I believe the last number I heard was over 75 countries, but it's certainly in that range from all over the world who just enter the United States as if there is no border. How concerned are you about infiltration of jihadists or just other rogue state actor elements across the southern border given how porous it is?
4: I'm incredibly concerned. And one of the things we have already uh, apprehended are five individuals on the terrorist watch list. Uh, Three, I believe, from Yemen and two others from Syria. So that's going to happen because we are dealing with a terrorist organization itself, the cartels, transnational narco-criminal terrorists, who are willing to work with anybody that provides them any type of uh, financial, uh, you know, resources and support. And so we know that the cartels are working with Iran, they're working with Hezbollah, they're working with Hamas. We know that we have tunnels that come out of Mexico and come into Texas. Uh, August Pfluger, the congressman from West Texas, in his piece of legislation, he estimates it at 232 tunnels. This is a national security risk for our nation. And for whatever reason, I don't understand why our governor is not taking an action, a firm action to secure our borders, because certainly this president is not.
2: Alan West, good luck on your uh, race for the governor's house, sir, and great to have you with us as always.
4: My pleasure. Thank you, Bob.
2: Coming up, the host of the Trish Reagan Show podcast, Trish Reagan, joins us to give her perspective on the president's mishandling of the economy. Of all the failures of the Biden administration so far, arguably the most significant for the average American day-to-day is the economy. Since taking office, consumer prices have continued to climb for everyday goods and services, that's food, gas, and housing. The American people have taken notice. According to a recent Fox News poll, about 70% of Americans say the national economy is only in fair to poor shape, and the majority, 86%, are concerned about inflation. Joining me now is the host of the Trish Regan Show podcast, which you can check out at TrishIntel.com. Trish Regan. Trish, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me. Important topic, Buck.
2: Let's start with the White House said that inflation we're seeing. Originally, they were saying it's transitory. But um, what's the latest on the inflation that we face and have seen so far?
1: You know, I I don't know about you, but when was the last time that prices went down on things, right? Other than gas prices, which are pretty fungible, maybe real estate, the reality is when prices go up, they tend to stay up. I mean, a a menu at a restaurant is a great example, right? If If they go through the pain of actually changing the prices on the menu, it's very rare that they'll actually move them lower. Maybe- Maybe they'll give you a free salad, maybe they'll give you a free dessert, whatever, but chances are prices, once they move higher, they stay higher. And right now we're not even just in that, we are in what I would call um, a hyperinflationary environment, unlike anything we have seen going all the way back to the 70s. I don't know if you saw this, but um, Social Security is expected to see an increase. This is the one silver lining for uh, older folks out there, but it shows you how inflation really is creeping in. Social security checks are expected to go up over 6% next year. That shows you inflation is there, Buck.
2: It's, um, it's amazing, and, and the expectation is, Trish, that with the spending, especially if we get this uh, three point whatever trillion dollar spending bill through that's still making its way through the Congress, it doesn't just just, just turn into supply and demand at some point. I mean, they're flooding the market with more dollars.
1: Yeah, I mean, you keep flooding the market with dollars and you're going to have a much weaker dollar. We saw last week when the Federal Reserve came out and said, you know what, we're not going to budge on interest rates, even though inflation is what inflation is, right? They said they're going to keep interest rates low. They're going to continue to watch the employment data. Well, immediately the US dollar softened, weakened against a bunch of other currencies, which makes sense because, hey, you know, I mean, maybe you'd rather have your money in Swiss francs right now as opposed to the US dollar. So there are ramifications, there are repercussions of all of this. It effectively, and I think this is the important thing that people don't entirely always understand, is that it's acting as a tax on your everyday income. I mean, I mentioned Social Security, that's indexed to inflation. So luckily for those folks, they're gonna get a little bit of a bump, but most people actually haven't seen much of a raise. Wages have only gone up about 1% and change, Buck. When you're dealing with 5.4% inflation or 6% inflation or even higher as I expect it will be, guess what, that 1% raise isn't so meaningful.
2: Trish, in your estimation, what has been the Biden administration's biggest mistake when it comes to the economy so far?
1: <laughs> wow. Well, that is um that's a hard question to answer uh, quickly. what i I would say the biggest overall mistake is that you've got a bunch of people there that think they're smarter than everyone else. I mean, you saw that as evidence, uh, evidenced in Afghanistan, right? Again, thinking you're smarter than everyone, thinking you have all the answers and not really understanding the ramifications of things. They don't understand that you just can't print money. They don't understand that you can't just hand out money to everyone. I mean, look, politicians love it, right? And both sides have been guilty of this buck. They're guilty of it because why not? I mean, hey, you can buy votes. And so in in their self-interest, it's good for them to have some inflation. It's good for them. They don't really care. And yet, and yet when that starts to really bite the consumer and it means, you know, a, a family, you know, can't take that road trip over the summer that they had been planning on or, you know, they can't have that night out at the movies or or some other extracurricular activity because they're they're spending so much money on gas, that's when it really starts to hurt. And the numbers that you showed in the beginning of this segment showing well over 80% are worried about inflation. Those numbers make sense. I mean, The the price of diapers, Buck, up 14% in the last year. Who does that hurt? I mean, not people who have money that are older, certainly not Joe Biden and members of his staff. It hurts very middle American families, young families. And so all of this is taking its toll on sentiment, and it's taking its toll on people's wallets.
2: What do you make of uh, gas prices, Trish?
1: I think they're high and they're going to go higher. I mean, you look at the, the the unrest in the Middle East. You look at what's just happened in Louisiana. I mean, it, when you when you add all this up, it, you're not going to have as much supply. And then you combine in the factor that uh, well, this administration thinks that oil's bad, and so they don't want the Keystone pipeline. They don't want all those jobs. They don't want the energy independence that, by the way, comes with those jobs. And they're going hat in hand to OPEC, saying, "Hey guys, can you maybe?" a little bit more oil on the market. Look, in that kind of environment where we do not have the power and the wherewithal to be pumping our own, we are putting ourselves increasingly in a bad situation. It's very 1970s all over again, Buck. And and because of this turmoil in the Middle East, and Afghanistan is not an oil supplier, but look, plenty of countries in that region are. And if you start allowing the likes of ISIS and the Haqqani network and you know other bad guys to be over there well it's going to make it harder for oil production overall so i anticipate i've been pretty vocal about this that oil prices will you know really linger between 75 and 100 bucks um, as we get into the year end and i think you know look there are headwinds like you know, lockdowns and and more economic suffering that will come as a result of some of those things. And and maybe that could soften oil a little bit, but I just think the geopolitical situation is bad enough, combined with the fact that this administration doesn't wanna do anything on the oil front because they're too, you know, green energy oriented and you've got the makings for higher oil prices.
2: Trish, we're only nine months or so into the administration. What are your predictions for what the Biden economy looks like in year two?
1: um it it'll be worse i mean look the market i will tell you this the stock market's been on fire because they expect inflation and i guess if you're looking at inflation there's a few things you want to be in stocks you know commodities like oil, like gold, like, oh, by the way, real estate, real estate investment trusts, REITs have done very well in this environment. I think there's other currencies that could do well in this environment. So let's just ignore the stock market for one moment and think about the overall economy. And I think that's going to continue to suffer. My biggest worry right now is we go we go back to stagflation. Stagflation is an environment, Buck, where, as you know, you have very little growth, but you have lots of inflation. Right now, we've been able to say, oh, well, there's a little bit of growth. There's actually quite a bit of growth because when you compare and contrast to last year, right at this time when everything was totally shut down, then it looks pretty promising. But what happens as things start to shift? We've already seen, for example, it, 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 we've seen month uh, monthly sales pending home sales decline for two straight months, not decline. just just barely move higher. Um, far less than people had thought. So you're seeing some softening in real estate. I expect to see more softening in the overall economy because look, you know, policies matter. At some point, this catches up with everyone. And so stock market aside, anticipate anticipate tougher times ahead. And I hate saying that. you know, I wish them all the well. I really wish this president could get out of his own way, and I wish there wasn't the screw-up in Afghanistan, and I wish there wasn't the screw-up with the economy, but inflation's here, and, and once it comes, it's very hard to rein in.
2: Trish, always good to have your expertise. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Since taking office, President Biden has presided over one of the worst nationwide crime waves in recent memory. When we come back, former NYPD police commissioner, Bernie Carrick, gives his thoughts on the rise in crime and the federal government's role in the failure to stem the violence.
7: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again.
2: In the wake of the deadly riots following the death of George Floyd, many on the left openly embraced a radical anti-police narrative, some going as far as to call for the defunding of police.
0: Yes, I support the defund movement because this is about the, the um, investment in our communities which have historically been divested. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like,
6: this is the word that's coming from the streets. Look, the reality is we can't rely upon the police to provide public safety.
2: Around the country, local and state governments turn the rhetoric into action in many places, slashing police budgets and turning cops into the enemy. You can see the results in the year-over-year increase in murder rates in major cities. Portland up 327%, Sacramento up 64%, Philadelphia up 23%, Boston 42%, Los Angeles 23%, Oakland 51%. While Joe Biden claims he opposes defunding the police, his Department of Justice has done little to address the crime wave, choosing instead to launch civil rights investigations into numerous police departments around the nation. So what responsibility does President Biden have for America's ongoing violent crime problem? Here to help us answer that question is former commissioner of the New York City Police Department, Bernie Carrick. Bernie, good to have you. Thanks, Buck. The spike in violent crime we're seeing around the country that has continued on and and kept on for for quite some time here. Uh, At what level do you attribute that to the response to the George Floyd riots and the so-called uh, Ferguson effect against law enforcement?
5: Well, I think it's a it's a four, sort of four-pronged uh, attack, right, against public safety, against law enforcement. The first and foremost is the governors, the governors that have instituted these laws and signed into law um, bail reform policies that don't allow you to hold anybody uh, within the system they don't allow judges to look at their past criminal records of of suspects to see you know whether they should be held or whether they're uh, you know a, a long-term uh, felon. Um, then you have prosecutors that don't want to prosecute. You have prosecutors actually that are admitted Marxist. You have Soros funded prosecutors that are out villainizing the police, victimizing the thugs targeting the police more than targeting the uh, the bad guys in the neighborhoods then you have the mayors you have mayors like bill de blasio who's an admitted marxist this is a guy that back in 1987 was supporting the sandinistas you got guys like him that want to funding they want to you know endorse and support black lives matter um, a group that calls for the assassination of the police. Um, he's somebody that defunded and, and tried to defund the police department by a billion dollars. A $6 billion budget wants to take away a billion. Took 600 clothes anti-crime cops off the streets of New York City. with a pri- Their primary function, Buck, was to go after guns, right? Uh, respond to hot jobs in progress, look for guns, take guns off the streets. Um, so you have those three elements, those three areas, and then you have the federal government, and you have the president. Um, you have a vice president today that was supporting um the radical antifa and Black Lives Matter riots last year that you know caused more than probably a billion dollars in damage around the country, uh, a number of deaths, um, destruction, arson, Um, She was somebody that supported that. She was somebody that was bailing out, assisting in bailing out the bad guys that were involved. And you have a president that's doing nothing. Yeah, I want to ask you about that, Bernie.
2: I mean, in what way has the Biden administration made this worse?
5: Well, they make it worse, number one, by sending out their Justice Department to look at departments for civil rights violations in areas like Chicago, right? Chicago has one of the highest violent crime rates in the country. It's not getting any better. Um, They have increased shootings, violent crime, and murder. Um, They need an an enormous amount of resources. And if they had a federal task force that, you know, a part of which would be the FBI, the DEA, the ATF, the U.S. Marshals Service, in conjunction with their violent felony fugitive uh, task force in, in Chicago, I promise you, you could reduce that violent crime and the murder rate. Um, but uh, you know, between the White House and between Chicago, it's just not happening. And I blame a part of that on the Justice Department and the president because they're too busy trying to target the police. They're too busy trying to do these civil rights investigations when in fact, communities are suffering. What should
2: the Biden administration be doing to address the violent crime wave that continues to plague major cities across
5: the country? You know, the the president had a meeting with a number of these different mayors uh, from around the country. Since that meeting, nothing's happened. You know, he should have dispatched the Justice Department and said, look, I want a weekly progress report on what's happening. How many arrests are there? Are you going after the gangs? Are you going after the cartels? The other problem we have, and this is solely on the president. He's basically opened up the border. He's opened up the border and you have the Mexican cartels coming in. You have violent criminals from other countries coming in. Nobody's vetting them. Nobody's monitoring, tracking them. And then when they get caught, they're not doing anything to them. And that's solely on the president of the United States.
2: What do you think is going to be the response of the American people to this when they get to the polls, Bernie? Are Democrats going to suffer or are memories too short?
5: No, I think, listen, I think it's a combination of things that the polls, uh, that the voters are going to look at 2022. One of which is the border stuff uh, to the economy. Uh, three, the COVID uh, crisis chaos, and then um, and and then lastly Afghanistan, and I think the leadership or lack of in Afghanistan, the death of the service members, the fact that the president left Americans on the ground in Afghanistan and and pulled all of our military out, I don't think uh, I, I don't think it's going to play well for the, the Democrats in 2022, and lastly. And this is probably the most important in the, you know, during the crime wave of New York City, David Dinkins was a Democratic mayor. He was loved by the city. But in 1993, they voted him out of office because mothers had to put their babies to bed in bathtubs to protect them from random gunfire. I think the people in these communities that are led by Democrats today, I think they're getting sick and tired of living, visiting, working. going to school in areas that look like a war zone. And when that happens, when they get tired of it, they're going to vote somebody else in.
2: Bernie, always appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Buck, thank you. All right. That's all the time we have for this special edition of Hold the Line. I'd like to thank my guests, Monica Crowley, Alan West, Trish Regan, and Bernard Carrick. Have a great night. And as always, Shields High.